Welcome to the Launch Strategist Podcast with your host, Katrina Douglas, author, trainer, and launch strategist for corporate leaders, helping you launch projects that light you up, make money, and get you closer to the goals that matter. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Second live of today. Um, And today I'm here with the amazing uh, Lisa Bent who is the author of this amazing book, Simona Still Single, and so much more. Um, I'm so excited to speak to Lisa today. Um, Her journey has just been amazing, and she's the epitome of, you know, what can be achieved even in a pandemic. Like, you can absolutely have launch success um, in a pandemic. So uh, let's get into it, Lisa. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So... First question I'd like to ask, instead of what do you do, what's your story? What is your story? How did we land here, Lisa? (laughs) That in itself is a journey. Um, (laughs) It depends on how far you want to go back. Like, so I guess I'm creative through and through, really. The dream was to be on the West End. I did. Um, So I have a degree in performing arts. Um, yeah, that was the dream. Um, but my voice, something happened to my voice when I was 16. I lost the ability mm. to sing. And so I had to think of another career path. I ended up being a dancer for a short time and working in a private school as a as a school dance teacher on a freelance basis, which I absolutely loved. Mm. And then gave up that career when I was like 23. I was too old at 23. It wasn't mm. for me. I auditioned for... Um, Victoria Beckham for a track called Not Was It Not Such an Innocent Girl? Can't remember. Mm-hmm. That was what it was called. And yeah. it's a two day audition and I didn't get it. I was down to the last 12, was really upset. And I just thought, you know what, I'm not cut out for this level of rejection. So let me just try and do something else. And but I wanted to stay in the industry. Mm-hmm. I thought, what else am I good at? Ah, oh, I love talking. <laughs> I love talking. I love people. So I fell into presenting. My very first interview was with Lamar. Um, when he came out of Fame Academy. And after that, I ended up working for a channel on Sky um, for a TV show called Rolling. And I basically interviewed um, famous people um, who were, you know, black, um, yeah. who weren't really getting any attention on mainstream. And so I would interview a range of people. Loved it. The very last red carpet I did was Dream Girls, um, Jennifer Hudson, uh, Matthew Knowles. It was. Wow. I did not know any of this. This is why I love this. <laughs> yeah, tell us more, Lisa. Yeah, not many people know about that side, but purely because I was, I thought old now, but purely because I was a presenter before social media. That makes me sound really old. <laughs> uh, we still had terrestrial TV and you had Sky. Yeah, YouTube was still YouTube was kind of new. Instagram wasn't even born yet, and so when you think about opportunities, um, the opportunities then were nowhere near the opportunities of today. Like we had VHS, we we had tapes, um, and there was no other avenue to get into the industry apart from being invited to the table, so to speak. Um, really loved it, um, but that was the last the last interview that I did. Um, and the reason why I decided to go into another avenue is because I'm getting older, the breaks aren't coming, and I mm-hmm. want to 
alive. I want to have a life. And so yeah. I thought, well, okay, well, what else can I do? What what else can I do? And at the time I was working part-time for a holistic center in Bond Street, um, part-time. And this, this practitioner was just like, do you know what? You have something. You're really great with all the clients. We've noticed that our clients come 20 minutes early and it's to chat to you. Wow. So I think you should potentially look into doing a counseling um, qualification. Just maybe do like an introduction course, see if you like it and take it from there. That is what I did. I loved it. And mm -hmm. I don't think I would have fallen, in, fallen into that path had someone else not seen my potential. Yeah. I, it wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. And it literally was the best thing that I could have done for myself, my self-development, but also mm -hmm. um, just in terms of my career path. And so, yeah. It all adds up though, because people are at the center of what I do. So it yeah. does add up. Um, yeah. It looks really sketchy going from, you know, performing arts to dancing to presenting. And now here we are as a counselor. But what, why it happened at the right time was because I was getting bored of presenting, which for a red carpet, you only really have time for one question. Wow. And that question is always either what are you wearing or when is your next film out? There was no real chance to go into any depth. Yeah. And so that's what I loved about counseling. It enabled me to hear people's stories, it enabled me to find out why they do the things they do. And it yeah. also enabled me to work with them in a healing capacity. And yeah. I literally saw them transform. So I specialized in sexual abuse, mm -hmm. abuse victims, um, but also just the general spectrum of what counseling mm -hmm. brings and you know helping people through their emotional difficulties which i absolutely loved but mm -hmm. for me working with that specific group it literally broke my heart over a period of time so about three years my heart was just breaking and mm -hmm. i just needed a break i needed a break from it and so i decided just to like just try and just say yes to the first thing that comes and mm -hmm. that first thing was being a receptionist so yeah. I landed as a receptionist um, at Turner Broadcasting, yeah, um, which was fantastic. So it's still because it's entertainment. I still felt like I was back into my in, you know my entertainment home, yeah. and um, I worked there part time. And then after a while, I got the opportunity to be the second PA to the international president. Because what people don't know about receptionists, yeah, <laughs> is that we are the hub for the water cooler moments. I yeah. know thing about everyone and because i'm a counselor i had great people skills yeah. so my ability to build rapport was literally exceptional and yeah. it also meant that when people coming in you know to be interviewed on cnn i already know who they are i'm building rapport i'm doing my little mini interviews on yeah. that <laughs> i've had great chats with like Fandy newton um jesse jackson wow hugo grant hugh grant like i've had some Pat Cash, like I've had some really amazing conversations. And yeah. so then I, I kind of like went from the reception all the way to the top floor, working really closely with the international president who I thought was fantastic. He was a genius. And when you work as an EA or a PA, as most EA and PAs know, it's very intense, it's one-to-one. -one. And I miss seeing people. So I asked for a transfer um, and that's how I entered into HR. Again, it wasn't on my radar. I didn't think it was something I could do because it wasn't on my radar. Yeah. And yeah, and it was the best thing for me. Again, 
everything that I had done before, whilst it seemed that it doesn't have any dots or doesn't connect, it does because people are at the center. So people skills are great for being a HR person. It's human human resources, people partners. Um, and, And that's where my HR journey began. So after I worked for Turner, I then ended up working for Damien Hurst. And then I then ended up working um, which all of the jobs I absolutely loved. And I took a break in December 2019 because I had an opportunity mm-hmm. to write a book. Mm-hmm. And I had to wait up. I, I couldn't work in a standalone HR role for you know a busy company and meet my deadlines with the book. Um, as you know, the book is part of 20, hashtag 20 in 2020, which yeah. means part of a competition that by Jacaranda Publishing, yeah. uh, where they were looking to find 20 black writers to be published in 2020. It's never yeah. been done before. It was groundbreaking. Oh. I just thought, let me just submit this competition. Yeah. Yeah. I did it and I was one of the 20. I'm very yeah. lucky one of the 20 and so for the first time since 17 I had to weigh up whether I stay in something and try and make it work mm-hmm. whether I leave and try and give it my full attention so yeah. I thought you know what never taken time out before let's just do it now I've been working since I was 17 let's take that time out and try and produce the best book I can possibly do and yeah. that's what I did and that is how the book came into being um i birthed that out um and it was published i say birth because really and truly right yeah. now is a different type of birth the label was real yeah 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 but i birthed that out on the 8th of october 2020 and i'm i literally look at this book and just think how did i do that it's amazing it's amazing, amazing. Well. yeah <laughs> it's amazing um, there's so much um, that I want to ask you about that. And I think uh, there's a number of highlights. But I think the first one is the fact that along your journey, you've always leaned into who you are. And I love that because I think a lot of people, a lot of us are scared to do that. Like we'll have an unction, we'll have a leading, we'll be like, actually, I don't have the experience. I've never done that before. And throughout your journey, you've leaned into that. And so I love that. And I think that's the number one lesson that I want people to take. Don't allow yourself to be boxed in. And a lot of times we think that it's other people boxing us in and actually it's ourselves boxing us. But you've never lived in a box and I think that's beautiful. And that's testament to where you are today. I think the second thing that stands out to me is your commitment to people. And I think that, yeah, your commitment to people. And I think that, you know, if ever we're going to achieve anything of any significance and work, we have to care about people. And I think you're right. That has been the common thread. It's all always been about relationships and people. And that's beautiful. And I think in a time where, you know, we hear a lot about rhetoric about the hustle and the money and all of this. And I think people are the principal thing and you have to have a heart for people. I don't care what you're doing. And I think, you know, your your seed that you've sown in that area, I feel that it's probably, it's, I know it's bearing fruit, you know, um, along your journey. And so I love the creativity of the path and I love that you have such an unconventional path and yet we are here. And this is a beautiful moment because, you know, it's a really beautiful moment. And, you know, I think about our conversation when we first met, we hadn't met, 
Yeah. And I messaged you randomly, like didn't have a clue who you were. I didn't even know how we got connected, Lisa. And I messaged you and I said, you know, let's hop, hop on for a coffee chat. And we did. And at the time you were writing your book. And when I look at that where you were and again it was another beautiful conversation and I knew you know what I mean that you were someone I wanted to stay connected to even though there wasn't any reason why but I just wanted to stay connected to you and so we connected on Instagram also and I've seen your journey and I think you are testament to what can be accomplished in a year regardless of what's going on you know testament to that so kudos to you is <laughs> honor to have this conversation with you I've been really looking forward to it because there is so much um, for us to explore so let's talk about the journey of birthing a book because it is a birthing and um, quite different but similar I remember when I left corporate in 2016 was in a really uh, strange place and I often speak about this where I had left the corporate world, my whole identity had been in that space. I thought I was just going to leave and it was going to be beautiful and it wasn't. I felt more unemployed than self-employed and it was just this space that was new to me. And as part of that, I decided to write. I had never written before and out of that I birthed a book completely um, unexpected. But for me, it was very cathartic. Like it was about me processing. It was as much about me and the place I was in as it was about the book and the audience it was for. Um, and so it's interesting to me that, that you, that the writing of your book is also part of a transition. And so let's talk about that cross section between the professional and the personal and that, that process of birthing a book and at the same time emerging into a new season. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, I feel, I, feel, I think, you know, obviously I, I began right, the, the process of writing this book happened before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I think the fact that it happened during a pandemic was a shift within itself. It kind of yeah. forced me to look at things in a different way, even though I was already on that path. Mm -hmm. um, what, it, what it meant, though, in terms of my process is that I had to become a lot stricter in how I do things mm -hmm. now my corporate brain is or that corporate muscle is literally strengthened I know how to be and show up for corporate but my yeah. creative brain even though my background is very creative I've been out of it for a long time and so that muscle was so weak yeah and I remember when I first began writing in January um 2020 I, I literally got showered and I sat at my desk at nine o'clock, ready for this creative flow to just literally <laughs> enter my fingers and you know transfer to to the laptop. And it just doesn't work like that. The creative process, you don't have a to do list to do. It's it's well, I didn't anyway. It was very, very different, and so I had to very quickly work out how I can show up for myself and not beat myself up that I haven't produce 10,000 words in one day, my first yeah. attempt, like it's not realistic. Yeah. And so what I did is I changed my morning routine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did, I looked at the artist way and I decided to start doing the morning pages, which is literally doing a mind dump, writing three pages before I do anything. So it's literally yeah. just getting your chatter out of your head onto a page yeah. and it's not even about looking back at what you wrote because to be honest you can't even read your handwriting you're literally <laughs> you know doing a gratitude journal really also mm -hmm. after 
beginning to do a 10 minute meditation. And then what I did next was I had already started to do park run the previous August. Mm -hmm. I started to make, so park run is something that you do every Saturday. Um, a lot of parks in, in London and I guess England do this. A group mm -hmm. of people come together and you run 5K. Um, and I just decided to try and do this every other day or at least three times a week as part of this process. Just that my mind is clear and I'm yeah. you know, letting go of any kind of chatter that I have. Yeah. And I just found it, it worked for me. I literally, mm -hmm. you know, three times a week, starting my morning in this way and taking the pressure of telling myself that I have to write 10,000 words today. Yeah. I literally just said, look, all I have to do, my only job is to show up to do what I need to do in the morning and then get, you know, sit at my desk and just show up for myself and and not self-edit, just allow myself to write. I think what I learned very quickly is that you can't write a book and edit as you go along. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. You are literally doing and undoing and undoing and really being quite critical. Yeah. The idea is literally just to write. This is just a first draft. You're always gonna go back in for a second or a third. So just mm -hmm. allow yourself to write. And so eventually, I really think, you know, maybe five months in is when the flow really began. And so it was, it was the consistency. It was just my consistency of the process. And then I began to see the results. Um, yeah. And then I learned that um, writer's block is something that you can just use as an excuse. But actually for me, how it showed up, is me editing myself and, and telling myself that what I'm writing in the moment isn't good enough. Yeah. So for me, writer's block doesn't exist. What writer's block is, is my self-talk telling me that what I've written is just rubbish. Yeah. So yeah. I, then, I then realized that the way to get over that is if I couldn't quickly come in with the other chimp on my other arm mm -hmm. to say, come on girl, stop it, then it's time to take a break. Yes. It's time to take a break or time to work on a different chapter. Um, yeah. It's not about sitting in this self-talk that is actually unhelpful. It's about yeah. removing myself from that, taking a break and coming back to it if I couldn't catch myself in the moment. Yeah. Um, and that really, really helped. So yeah, it's it's def it was definitely a different way to process stuff. And then obviously, you know, we're in a pandemic. What I did very, very early on is to stop watching the news. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see all those numbers every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I then cut out anything that was a distract that, that was a distraction. Yeah. The phone was in another room. Um <laughs> the phone was definitely in another room. And I literally in my breaks just chose to read nourishing things. So if I wanted to find out what was going on in, in the news, I would read it. I'd go yeah. to the Guardian or the Independent. I would be very particular about where I'm getting my news from and then just stop. I didn't need this constant thing in my ear and, you know, to, to increase anxiety or fear. I just didn't want it. So I just chose to do things differently. Yeah. And that really, really helped. Um, and yeah, that just really helped. So yeah, the, the process was different, which also meant that I became much more bounded with, with, with what I'm looking at, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. So my hours of work, because this is a job, Writing a book is a job. It is. It it nine, is. To six, nine to six, took my hour break. Um, I found that writing consistently for two hours before taking a 30 minute break worked well for me mm -hmm. in context. But in the context of corporate work, 
45 minutes is is my max i can yeah. focus for 45 minutes and then take a 15 minute break and then come back into it so yeah it, it's it's very interesting but i had to learn the difference very quickly because i can't i can't use what works in corporate in creative it's too yeah 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 again okay i've got so many notes here bear with me a second because there's so much in there so one of the first things you said was removing the chatter and i think that i love that so first thing in the morning just getting rid of the chatter because we all have the chatter and the problem is we listen to it so i love that that thing about you know removing the chatter removing distractions because i feel like this is even though you're talking about the process of writing a book it's a metaphor for launching everything the other thing that i like that you said is finding your rhythm because so often we you know everyone wants to know what your morning routine is or or what your rhythm is but you allowed yourself to find your own rhythm and i think that is so important when it comes to productivity stopping and taking breaks when you need to as well and these are all things lisa that they sound so simple but when we don't do them they completely cripple us um and they completely prevent us from going to where we're going so so much in there so much in there um and the fact that you didn't find your flow for five months like i mean (laughs) five months and so often we're like you know what I need to have done this already. I should have found my flow. And we do not grace ourselves enough to find our flow and find our rhythm. And I always say to people, I literally took two years to find my whole business model. Like, and I know that's really indulgent, but I couldn't, it wasn't fitting. It took me two years to find my entire, my business model. One that I felt like, you know what, this is it. This is what we're running with. And so often we're rushing the process. But what I always say is if you're launching legacy, if you're launching something sustainable, to a degree, don't rush yourself. I know you had a deadline, but within that, you still graced yourself. Um, and so I think that's so important. So let's talk about the topic of the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, I always knew I had a book in me, but I never thought it would be a romance novel. Yeah. I mean, if anyone guessed, it would have been, oh, you're going to write a psychology book or you're going to mm-hmm. write you know, something about self-help and counselling. Um, but it's actually... A romance novel for self-help lovers so I didn't move too far away from what I knew I was always going to write it's just mm-hmm. in a different form and the reason why it was a romance novel is because I used to when I was single mm-hmm. I used to every now and again on Facebook do my little kind of share of my trials and tribulations with dating mm-hmm. um, and over time I just noticed that of all the things that I used to comment about, you know, I I was definitely back in the day a social commentator. Yeah. Social issues, things that are in the news, just basically everything, I was all over it. Um, But I noticed that whenever I spoke about dating or love or relationships, that would bring me my most comments. Mm. And in December, oh God, I don't remember timelines now, I think it was 2017, I met this guy who I called Mr. TK Max outside of <laughs> TK Max Solution, and um, I I chatted him up, got his number, and as soon as I left him, I literally went onto uh, Facebook and said, "Oh my God, guys, guess what? You know, guess what just happened? Yeah. Sorry, guy, six foot, he's got dreads, he's beautiful." Chatted him up, got his number. Oh my God, like you may not get an update with this one. Yeah. 
and I think about I can't remember the numbers now, but you know, 144 people kind of liked mm -hmm. it, like I think 70 plus comments. And whilst it's not influencer level by any means, what it showed me was that there was something about my story that gave people hope. Yeah. And also encouraged them to maybe try and challenge themselves. Yeah. But it also, I just think it also gave them this sense of hope. Mm -hmm. like, on the outside, there were people looking at my life and thinking, oh my God, like there's hope for me because she's found someone just randomly. So you yeah. can still meet someone randomly. Yeah. But the comments, I was like, oh my God, okay, clearly I'm onto something. Yeah let me try and serialize this in a book so the book began as a memoir okay and yeah. then by the time my editor came on board she was like look this is really good but this is almost like a collection of facebook posts and mm -hmm. posts that i used to write back in a day to tell a story but actually i think there's some rich stuff here and you'd be better off turning it into a novel and and building characters around it yeah and she was right and yeah. that's what i did it's so good guys you need to buy it i haven't finished it yet but you need to buy it go to amazon buy it. And we're going to give you the link after but you need to go buy it it's so good um yeah and what, it, what it's about is about it's about a, a girl called simona brown or a mm -hmm. woman should i say called simona brown the book begins when she's 37 and it follows her until she's 40. Mm -hmm. and it begins with her having a existential crisis. So she is triggered by her friend, Asta, who has just called her to tell her that she is pregnant again, and she's just got engaged, and they've set a date for their wedding, which will be in their both their 40th year, which is in three years time. And Simona literally has a, not a panic attack, but she's just having a moment where she's like, oh my God, like I feel like things are moving for everyone else, but they're not moving for me. Am I going to be permanently single forever? What more can I do? Did I miss the boat? Um, what What can I do to to change my situation? And the reason why I really wanted to start there and to highlight highlight this book from a thirty seven year old is because I feel like in terms of the stories of dating, we don't really hear from. Yeah. that group of people let alone from the black perspective and so i wanted to produce a book that explored the relationship of a woman so her relationship with with herself her relationship with others and 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 what it means to exist in this current world in london so mm -hmm. the book also explores work um the the, the gender pay gap the ethnicity mm -hmm. pay gap not having a promotion um you know discussing hair and what isn't isn't acceptable at work and which then leads into desirability and what does that look like if everyone is is looking at desirability from a white gaze but then you're not white like what does that look like in terms of how we do our hair you know what we put on our face and um and it, it, it explores all of that amongst a very tight sisterhood of friends which yeah. includes her half-sister and three of our other really close mates. So the pinnacle part in the book, I feel, begins after she's been triggered. 
Mona calls a single summit at her house with her girlfriends and says, look, are we literally going to just wait for a man to rock up on this non-existent horse to save us? Mm. Like, what? Like, yeah. I know we're used to men approaching because that's what we're told society says that we should do, like, accept that approach. But men aren't approaching and they don't need to approach anymore because there's, there's dating apps. So are we going to allow our destiny to lay in the hands of, you know, of dating apps. So there's a whole question. There's, it's a book full of questions, a book full of um, understanding the mindset of these particular women, which I feel is very, very relatable mm -hmm. and, and questioning other things like desirability, but also um, um, being single and, and the lack of sexual maintenance. Yeah. And what does that mean on a spiritual level as well? So I talk about spirituality a lot in this book and um not going to spoil it, but yeah, there's a few themes are, are, are running through this book that I felt was really important and themes that I believe haven't been captured before. So yeah. like national spirituality um, and, and also Christianity. What does that look like for, for someone who has decided to be born again and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, may feel that they're being judged if they want to have a sexual relationship with someone and in, in line with what that means, you know, from what the Bible says. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually quite a lot packed in there for, for, for a novel, um, but it's definitely identifiable. I love the fact that Simona's face is, um, is, is yeah, I love this cover. I love it. I love that she's faceless because, yeah. you know, in a feedback that I've been receiving, so many women have come to me and said, oh my God, you have written my story. Yes. So yes. Simona isn't just this random person. Like Simona is all of us to different degrees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me how I managed to do that. I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. I, I think that there's so much self-expression in this. And even though Simona's story isn't my story, I could identify it with it. I feel like this is us. And I think that there is a commitment to us as black people that I feel in everything that you do that I feel in this book. And I think it comes from such an authentic place. And even when I see your promotion for the book, it's not just promotion of a book, it's a narrative. It's, it's a narrative that extends beyond the book. Um, and there is such authenticity in that. And I think I like that because I think the coverage that you've got across the press, across the media, is testament to the fact that it was always bigger than this book. It was always, and this is a culmination of so much. And so let's move into, because I think it's an, 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 an extension of this, who we are as a people. You know, I've seen you comment, comment on that, Harry and Meghan, and I told you I would just kind of take the conversation where it goes. And it's not strictly about launching, but I think it's an important conversation. Because I love, I love the, your voice in this time, in this season, um, in our narrative, in Simona's story, in our narrative as black women and as black people. So let's talk about how that, how the launch of a book has almost morphed into or, or paralleled with social activism to a degree. <laughs> and having a voice for black women and black people in this time um, let's talk about that. How did that even happen? And what does that look like for you now? 
That is such a hard question, Katrina. No. Um, I feel like I've always been a little bit of an activist. Yeah, um, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. yeah you, you, you know, um, you can see that in my in my past blogs and and, and old material. Mm -hmm. I thought I've always tried to bring voice to things in a different way to show to shine a different light on it, and I, and I've done that even in this book. Um, how Harry and Meghan came about in terms of the BBC News interview was that my fiance went to school with someone mm -hmm. um, and we bumped into this person on Oxford Street last year, just before the lockdown. He, as the fantastic partner he, he is, was like, oh, you work at the BBC? Oh my God. Well, my girlfriend, she's got this book coming out. <laughs> like, she'd love to be interviewed on the BBC. Details. When the book came out, nothing really happened in regards to the BBC, mm. that, you know, through, through that contact and the book. And then when Harry and Meghan, um, that interview happened, they were just looking for other voices. And my name popped up. So this mm -hmm. is later. My name popped up. And and that's it. That is literally, there's no big story around it, but that is literally just how it happened. And um, what was, I think, I think, well, the point I want to make about that is that not everything that you want happens in real time yeah. and not everything is going to happen in a way that you imagine it to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't trying to comment about Harry and Meghan, but like everyone else, I watched it. And like everyone else, I had an opinion about it. Yeah. But for me, the opinion, that the opinion that I had about it more so that I hadn't seen anyone else talk about in the in the of the coverage after was the relationship to the monarchy being an institution mm. like organizations yeah and i think that's where my hr head came in because i'm yeah. like this is a firm they keep calling it a firm they keep calling it in it and it's publicly funded so with all of black lives matter with all of health and well-being being at the forefront and DNI been at the forefront of so many organisations. How are we hearing the experiences of Harry and Meghan, and then not willing to hold account to the establishment of their lack of duty of care? It yeah. doesn't make sense. That was just one comment that was clear mm -hmm. to me. The other thing that was clear to me is the 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 inability to literally just listen to someone's experiences who are we to literally sit watch a screen and tell to the screen and to the whole world on twitter or wherever else that what this woman and man is saying are lies yeah are we? we're not living their lives and so for me it highlighted on a, on a very visual level what gaslighting looks like if anyone doesn't know what gaslighting of an experience is or gaslighting racism is or looks like we just saw it and it was played out and it was disgusting you know um and it's unacceptable and we wonder why society is the way it is we wonder why um we can't get further in a conversation regarding racism because no one is listening it's just a knee-jerk reaction um and everyone's just denying the very existence of it the reality is the race relations act exists for a reason 
So if there is no racism, why is there a Race Relations Act? Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. And in regards to the report that came out last week, it just doesn't make sense. It's one big gaslighting exercise. And unfortunately, it just means that we are going round and round and round in circles with no meaningful development or progression. Now, that is the state of it. And for years, many of us um, have just been tired of saying the same thing again and again and again. And it's cool. It is what it is. Our job as individuals, I feel, from my perspective, is to still shout about the wrongdoings. Yeah. More importantly for me right now, it's how do we effectively navigate and thrive? Because mm -hmm. what is happening from, from what I'm seeing is when this loop happens, we once again activate post-traumatic stress disorder because we are triggered. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we're triggered. And so whilst this is happening, we all have an individual responsibility to manage our mental health because when it's time to when the time comes for that for that mental health to be looked after, like can we even now be a hundred percent sure we're gonna get the, the help that we need yes. the way that we need it? So it's really important to understand what is going on but to also self-care and uh, it's really difficult because, you know, in order for change to happen, you know, rising off that anger kind of propels yeah. you to fight, right? Yeah. But there's an impact to us. There's an impact to us. And so going back to the book, you know, Simona talks about the impact of being overlooked in a promotion from someone who's got less experience than her. So in the book, I talk about microaggressions. What we saw with Harry and Meghan is, is quite, I mean, we talk about, you know, over and covert and, and we always say, oh, but you know, Britain is not as racist as America. But that doesn't mean that microaggressions doesn't have the ability yeah. to impact you in a way that actually harms your mental health. How can anyone sit there and say, oh, you don't believe Meghan? Are you living Meghan's life? Are you? That's number one. Number two, I also thought it was really interesting that a particular journalist only went after Meghan and said nothing about Harry. And when you look at it on a bigger scale, Harry actually said more damaging things about how the monarchy works than Meghan. Exactly, yeah. Far more damaging, exactly. more revealing, far more revealing. But they, the centre of an issue was then onto who said that they were concerned about Archie's skin colour. Mm -hmm. Who said? Not why did they say it and how bad that is. Who said it? And then we went into this whole guessing game of who could have said it. It is just missing the point and the main issue. Yeah. It's missing the point. And so having these conversations are quite difficult. It's it is tiresome. But it's important to still have because we need to just learn from the from history. But the loop keeps going on and on and on. And so what what was great is that the BBC happened and then after that a few other stations, you know, started to to contact me, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I said no to quite a few. And the reason why I said no is because I whilst I feel like my voice was valid and what i was saying was valuable 
especially on the empathy piece, which I felt was lacking, I didn't want to be on that gravy train of just mm -hmm. repeating, saying the same thing in different ways to different channels because it's tiring. I did two interviews <laughs> that day. I was exhausted. And I'll tell you why I was also exhausted. It's because with news channels, you don't ever get the questions in advance. Okay. And what people don't know as well is that you are, you, it's one way. So the, the, the presenter can see me mm -hmm. and everyone at home can see me on the big screen, but I'm actually talking to a blank screen. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm talking to, it's black, it's just black. So you have one, no idea what the question is that's coming your way. You have no idea who you're talking to unless you know the presenter's name or what they look like ahead of the interview. And when you don't know what's coming, especially when you're talking about race, you're always on guard because you don't know what's coming your way. And because it's live, you want to feel like you are answering the question in, in the best way possible, but you don't know what's coming. So there's a level of anxiety that naturally comes with it. Um, and and I don't think anyone really discusses that or, or really acknowledges the, the extra level of anxiety that is sitting in your gut as you try to hope that in the realest time possible, you can answer this question in the most succinct, eloquent way where you potentially aren't going to get attacked or trolled afterwards. Yeah. Out of everything that I said, you know, out of all the messages that I received, I, I just had one person, can't even call it a troll, can't even call it hate mail. It was just one person who was saying that, you know, he fought in World War II and he loved his country. Like, okay, that's great. But I wasn't anything bad about the country that I also live in and was born in yeah. just stating an opinion so the point I say about that is that not only do you have those other considerations to take into account when you're doing live there's also the aftermath yeah it generally happens and we've seen it with a lot of people who have been talking about the race issue is that they have been vilified on social media mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. consideration to make and all I say to that which again also links to the book, is all you can ever do is give yourself permission to speak. You cannot worry about what other people say. That doesn't mean that the worry isn't there. So yeah. the worry is there and then you have to talk yourself out of not trying to care. I know what my intention is in, in saying yes to these interviews. I know what intention I want to get across. Whether it lands in the way that I, I intend it to land, I, I can't guarantee that. Yeah. In the book, I only had to give myself permission to write the book and the best book that I could write in this particular moment, in this mm -hmm. particular climate, at this particular time. Yeah. After that, and people's opinions, it's out of my hands. So I, I can't afford to, to worry about how people receive it. I would just like them to receive it in the way that I intend. Yeah. Um, and the feedback has been incredible. The, yeah. The, the direct messages, as I said earlier, have been literally just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And so I think that's a really nice note um, to lead into our next segue with, like, you can't care about opinions. You are only responsible for what we put out there. And we cannot allow the thoughts of other people to hinder us from sharing our truth, to launching those things that are in our hearts and living in a way, in a way that is authentic to ourselves. 
So can I say one more point to that if we go to that, that segue is yes, I have freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Um and and but I feel like with freedom of speech comes with a level of mindfulness with what you are saying. Mm-hmm. I cannot say, oh, well, due to freedom of speech, I'm giving myself permission to say what I want to say and how I want to say it. That that is not it. Yeah. It is having a level of awareness that what you are saying has an impact. You can't control the impact, but if you are saying what you're saying with a level of mindfulness, then then that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Again, the journalist at the moment is everywhere talking about his basically that his his freedom of speech is under attack. That is not what is under attack. Mm-hmm. What is being very much noted is the fact that there's a disregard and a lack of self-awareness to the way that this person is choosing to say what he is saying. Yeah. There's a very there's a it's it's a, it's a small difference, but it's a big difference in the same way. Yeah. So just to add that, add that in there. Absolutely. So lots have happened, has happened. And what is next for you? Because I see some amazing courses happening and your coaching business blossoming. So let's talk about that. So yeah, so I I wasn't ready to let go of Simona just yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of rich information in there. And so <clears throat> what i decided to do is to set up a course create a course mm-hmm. um, a four-week course and it's called what's your love story so of course semester single is a love story which has elements of self-help within there i'm a qualified counselor i've written the book there's gems in the book okay yeah. let me work with people who want to work on them who love the book and want to work mm-hmm. on themselves while they are looking for love um within the book this is definitely a romance novel with um, self-love at the forefront. Yeah. And so my courses are also very much embedded in that foundation. So it's a self-love course. So love is at the forefront. Self-love is at the forefront um, whilst enhancing and strengthening themselves whilst they're looking for love. That's the order that I'm going in. I believe mm-hmm. that it's not two halves that make a whole. It's mm-hmm. a whole. Yeah, two holes. I don't believe he's my better half. He's my other. No, you get the whole. The 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 aim is to uncover people's love story. Mm-hmm. Love story in the ter- in in a sense that we all have narratives. Yeah. So self talk, whether that be conscious or unconscious, we all have narratives. And within this four week course, my job is to help people uncover the unhelpful narratives that are running their love life. Yeah, because it's there. Yeah, um, I'm not saying there's not other factors like a global pandemic, which mm-hmm. restricts who you meet and how you meet people. I'm saying that, you know, who we are is central to everything. That's my motto. Who we are is central to everything. And so in order to understand our current situation, let's not make it about other people. Let's look at our own self, our own history. Let's go back into the past and find that rich that rich soil full of information. Let's dig and let's find some of those nuggets that can help us and inform us as to why the current situation is a situation. And then after that, we're gonna nourish the new soil. We're gonna take out those weeds, we're gonna break patterns and we're gonna create a new love story. And so the work is definitely transformative. Of course, it is embedded in my 
psychology knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I class myself now as the coaching counsellor. I love that. I coach, but my foundation is in counselling. This mm-hmm. is not counselling. However, it means that as I am a counsellor, I have the um, therapeutic understanding and ability to hold people should they want to look at the past. Mm -hmm. I love coaching because coaching is definitely present to forward thinking. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that you can take as many courses until the cows come home. They will only be as successful as as your knowledge of yourself. In, yeah. in regards to your weaknesses, in regards to the things that are barriers to your success. Yeah. I think generally in society, everyone wants the quick fix. You know, we want the four-week course, we want the six-week course. That tells us, you know, do you want to bag six figures in eight months? Okay, sign <laughs> up. But that isn't going to work if you don't understand your money mindset. Mm-hmm. Don't if you don't understand your generation, your ideas around generational wealth or just generational mindset in regards to money, yeah. and so it's about digging deeper to make it make sense to make your ability to succeed in what you want to succeed come from a more healthy foundation, and mm-hmm. that's the kind of work that I do. I've also the count the, the sorry the HR section, which I call myself a change agent in that regards mm-hmm. because again I'm. It's, it's just another language for the sector that most people know. Yeah. And so I work with HR individuals because who are the people looking after HR? Yeah. Who, are the, who are the people looking after people? And so I provide a HR space, which is more of a counselling, but HR coaching head um, to move them into one place to another to create stronger boundaries. I work with managers to, to help them get out of their way because as we know, Unfortunately, most people leave jobs because of managers and yeah. also because of you know company ways of working. Yeah. And and I also at the moment I'm doing some career coaching, so I'm helping people people to pivot, or they can they can come and use my services for for whatever they want. But at the moment, the pivot bit seems to be really important because yeah. some people lost their jobs, and some people haven't lost their jobs, but within COVID have realized how much they hate their jobs and they just want to find something that is coming from a more purpose-led place. And so I, yeah, so I work with all those different streams. So really and truly it's, it's your love life, your, yeah. life, your life, career life. Um, and it's been really good. I love that. And I think what I really like about it is the fact that it is about holistic success. And I think a lot of people have success in one area and it's lacking in another. And I think what it sounds like you're trying to do is help people achieve that holistic success um, in their whole life. So first we're dealing with yourself and where you need to be, then your relationship with a significant other to make sure that when you go into that relationship, you are whole and you're not looking for someone to complete you. And then professionally in terms of the career stuff. So I love this. It's almost like you take people on a journey and all these pieces kind of meld together. And I think what's beautiful about the journey is that the launch has been progressive, if we can call it that. So, you know, it started with a book um, and then you came out and you've done some speaking and presenting again, like revisiting what you used to do. And now we have a course and there's a natural progression. And I think when you're led by purpose, that's what happens. 
Like you don't have to force it. There's just a natural evolution. So I think everything that you're doing is so beautiful. Thank you. And I'm excited about the impact that you're going to have on your clients' lives. So where can people get the book? Where can people sign up for the course? Where can people connect with you? So you can get the book everywhere. So from yeah. Amazon to Jack Aranza's website to Waterstones. It's on Audible as well. Um, so yeah, all, the, all those normal places. Yeah. Um, my website is lisabent.com and that also mm -hmm. has information about where to buy the book you can even read a few reviews on there as well um and then on the website as well in the section called work with me that's where you'll find all the information about the courses i'm actually halfway in one course now but if you just join the newsletter mm -hmm. um you can keep up to date about when the next one is it's likely to be in i think the first week of may um, but join the newsletter and, and and you can be kept up to date. Fantastic. And where can they join the newsletter? It's on the website. So if you go to the website, it'll pop up. Just okay. instantly pop. And you can follow me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is at I am Lisa Bent. Perfect. So before we sign off, what advice would you give someone who wants to launch out into the deep? Because that's what you've done. You've launched out into the deep. Um, and just run with it. And so that person that really wants to lean into that passion um, and knows that it will require perhaps leaving a job and, and significant change in their life, um, what advice would you give to that person? I think if you want to leave a job, get an exit strategy. Mm -hmm. It's not literally not going to just leave and be like, oh my God. <laughs> lottery no you have to get an exit strategy i i did um even though for me there was a real need to leave because of my deadline but i also had savings so i knew mm -hmm. how much those savings would last me um the pandemic helped because obviously there's no not, not yeah. it enabled me to stretch that out a little bit longer so if you want to leave a job have an exit strategy be as clear as possible about what it is that you want to do if you need to retrain then stay in your job and retrain. Mm -hmm. like make it make sense you know don't put yourself under unnecessary pressure absolutely you don't like your job and you're trying to build an exit strategy then in the meantime get your boundaries really clear stop working stupid hours you know um still do your work don't slack this is the hr person talking now because <laughs> <laughs> but but just be really bound time because when you're trying to learn a new skill or trying to find you know time to be creative you need to carve that time in yeah. and also within that self-care really 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 self-care for the people that are creative but also love their job and aren't trying to leave their job at the moment again the same thing applies carve the time in to be creative you're not just you're not going to do it otherwise you're going to just say oh, i'm too tired you know mm -hmm. work, work is being really busy i understand that it's very difficult to try and do two things at the same time but if it means something to you you will carve that time in absolutely especially as, as we're about to come out of lockdown you've got to think what's worth it you can still you can still see your mates but not mm -hmm. at the sense of the thing that you really want to do be disciplined and carve that time in and yeah. you can it like I'm no different from anyone else yeah the only difference is that I chose to give myself permission to do something that I really wanted to do 
and I sacrificed in other areas. That's the only difference. Yeah, sacrifice and discipline is the real. Um, that is the reality of it. Lisa, thank you so much. Before we sign off, I'm just going to read some of these comments. So Jason Robert, Roberts, wonderful to hear. Congrats on the transformation. Jason Lee, very true on the point of exercising. It can really set you um, your mind in a creative way and get you ready for the day ahead. Corey saying congratulations. Um, Giselle saying congratulations as well. So thank you so much. Those who watched live and those who will catch the replay, um, really appreciate your presence. Um, please do connect with Lisa. Um, yeah, and get the book. And if you know anyone who needs those course, courses, definitely send them to Lisa's way. Send them Lisa's way. Lisa, it has been an absolute pleasure. Loving seeing your journey. Um, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Katrina. It's great. I love seeing your journey too. Thank you. I love what you're doing at the moment. Great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. And um, actually, before I go, two things. I'm having a live launch planning class tonight at 7 p.m. So if you're interested in that, go check out the launchstrategist.com slash masterclass, completely free to attend. If you want to launch something and get out the gate, we're going to be easing you out of the gate tonight. I'm currently doing a LinkedIn Live series called Revive Live in the run-up to my launch strategy day on the 13th of May. So I'm back with you live tomorrow at 10 a.m. So come join me then as well. Um, appreciate you all um, and speak to you soon. Bye.